This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. New from Venom Prison, Samsara. The album Kerrang! gives a perfect 5Ks and hails as a furious, raging album, musical attrition that attack with nuclear force and wind tunnel velocity. And Metal Hammer praises Venom Prison embark on one of the most twisted and disturbing death metal journeys in recent memory. Zero Tolerance goes there calling Samsara a masterpiece of righteous violence. Venom Prism Samsara featuring the track Uterine Industrialization is available everywhere March 15th, guys. Make sure you check out the music video. Once again, Venom Prism's Samsara out everywhere March 15th. I want to remind you guys that this show is sponsored by Rockabilia. Need to stock up on some of your favorite band's merch? Go to rockabilia.com and put some on your wish list. They're the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. Need to buy a gift for someone and know what bands they're into? Pick up something from Rockabilia. You won't be disappointed with the selection, and you can get 10% off with the code PCJabberJaw. So head on over to rockabilia.com and use the promo code PCJabberJaw and save 10% today. Before we start the show, guys, we are at the Metal Sucks Podcast. We want to send out our condolences to the victims in New Zealand our hearts and our minds are with you guys, and we want you to know that everybody out there in New Zealand, you are not alone in this tragedy and in this struggle. Unfortunately, so many of us have been here, but humanity is not what was shown by that perpetrator. It's the Metal Sucks Podcast with your hosts, Petter Speich, Brandon Hahn, and Jocelyn Sharp. Metal Sucks Podcast. What is going on, everybody? It is I, your host, Petter Speich, and I am always joined by... My name is Brandon Gooch Han, and you could call me Brandon Gooch Han, and you could find me on Instagram and Twitter, <laughs> at your buddy Gooch. My name is Brandon Gooch Han, and you can call me Brandon Gooch Han. goddamn right. <laughs> and also joining us, I believe her name is Jocelyn Sharp. What may I call you? You can call me Nipple Nancy, <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. <laughs> Pete, not at all amused. I'm, I'm laughing. Nipple Nancy, come on. We're trying to be classy. And you guys can find me at Rise to Offend on Facebook and Twitter, Rise to Offend Official on Instagram. And this week, guys, get to talk to Cody Willis of Big Business, one of my favorite bands out there. Really excited to promote their new record, The Beast You Are, which is coming out April 12th. We will be playing a track off that record, guys, so get excited. They are currently on tour with a little band called Clutch, so make sure you check dates on that. And if you miss them on that tour in North America, make sure you check dates with a little band called Sleep, because they'll be on tour with them in May. So many little bands. So many small bands. Tiny, tiny bands. That big business are are playing with. Yes. Clutch, Sleep. Mm -hmm. Eh, who heard of them? Anyway, so... Just Everybody on this show's heard of them. There's yeah. these upstart, just a, just a couple of upstart bands. <laughs> yeah. I, I think they're going to make it. You might want to check them out. They're I, pretty good. I, I have a feeling about these guys. So this week, guys, we actually got an email where, a, kind of a debate. So we wanted to actually bring this to the show, because uh, to do something different for this week is that we got an email stating that all EPs. So for anybody who doesn't know what EP is, it's pretty much like an extended single that has been going on for a long time now in the music industry. I feel back in the 80s when bands, they would release records every year, and when they're going to go on a tour they didn't have anything to do, they'd put out an EP, which is just extra songs maybe when they were, you know. EP stands for 
extended play, right? It's extended right? play, but that's an extended single. See, that's the thing. Like, why wouldn't a regular album be extended play because there's more to it? There's a long player, which is How about is an LP? limited play? How about limited play? I just play? feel like Hey, hey, how about single? EP extended play uh-huh. single and long player LP. I'm I it. just feel like it's the musical equivalent of burnt ends. Like there's a reason you cut it off. Jocelyn feels EPs are useless, yeah, just I like mean, the I person just, we were talking to. So I, I do agree with the email. I, yeah. I, I challenge. It this seems guy. like a, it's. It, it, the thing, I think the, the the point behind most of the EPs have been kind of like a cash grab. It's well, like you know, here's the stuff. Here's the here's the songs that made the editing room floor. So we're just going to put these six songs out and try and get a couple of bucks out of it. I'm going to defend EPs here. And now here's the I'm thing. I'm not saying they're all bad. Here's the thing. As I told them, I, w- I will tell you the three greatest EPs of all time. And anybody listening, please send us your greatest EPs of all time. And what makes them great is because to me, they're equally as good as any long player LP they've ever put out. Some of these EPs are better than records they put out. Like you guys were mentioning, cash grabs, I don't know. I think it's always something to two to put out before they go on tour. For example, like Lamb of God put out one a, a year or two ago called The Duke. You had two songs on there and a bunch of live tracks. That's kind of an EP format. Code yeah, Orange did the same thing with a song with Corey Taylor. Here's a single, but we'll throw a remix of that song and another little song on there. Cash Grab, I don't know. It keeps them giving their fans something new, but then you have bands that... It helps them stay relevant. Well, it's a PR, it's a PR 101, mm. you know, yeah. right? You release the EP because there's too much gap in between your last album release and the first tour on your tour, the first tour date on your tour. So you put that out, so you get written up in places, you get, you know, clicks online, you do all those things, right? So you might not say that it's a cash grab in, in one sense, but it's a cash grab in that it's just an... If, if you're telling me that it's not... A, I just don't understand. It's like you're, you're just telling me it's not an album, but it's kind of an album? Mm. Like, what weird trickery it's, are you trying a, to pull? It's a diet album? Yeah, like, what is yeah. this? Weight Watchers yeah. music? I don't want well, this. Well, my deal is, is like, now, bands aren't even putting out the EPs. Now they're just putting out singles. They, a lot, some bands aren't even putting out albums. They're just putting out one single just to stay relevant. Yeah. That's all they're doing. And that's just with the times. But usually the great EPs, and this is what my whole argument in the debate was, is that when a band is going to put something out that their main fan base won't accept on an official record. So they're going to take a chance and they can take a chance on an EP and be like, here's four songs of something we're doing. Examples of that would be Agoraphoric Nordbleed when they put out Ark a few years ago and it was kind of a doom record. Mastodon put out Cold Dark Place I want to see last year. Slow record, different record. You acoustic know? records. Some guys have done EPs with acoustic same songs thing. too. Yeah, same so, thing. Yeah. So if you're going to do something different than what you normally do, you should make an EP. Hear that, Machine Head? You should have made an EP. <laughs> <laughs> no need to rap. <laughs> and then recently i've noticed two bands that have they're doing eps instead of full lake records for some odd reason i don't know if it works out for them but down did it a couple years ago on down four they did two eps skid row's been doing it they're virtually just extending it where they put out records faster but in no way shape or form is that actually working because it's still taking them three or four years to put out records so there is people trying to do different things but basically the greatest three eps of all, all time according to the metal sucks podcast okay and we'd love you guys to debate it with us we're going to start at number three. Go ahead. Debate us out loud right now while you're listening. <laughs> In your car. <laughs> <laughs> number three oh, on our greatest EPs of all time list. People love lists, by the way. Bloodbath, Unblessing the Purity EP. Now, this came out in 2008. This was the last EP to feature Michael Ackerfeld of Opeth before he left Bloodbath as their vocalist. And this is equal as any of their records. So we're going to give you guys a taste of a song on that record. This one is going to be called Weak Aside.
We Are Back. How'd that taste? Yeah, and those, that song, all four of those songs, flawless. It's a great record, but considered an EP, so not considered part of the catalog. It's just extra stuff. And that's another thing about EPs that I, I think I've, I've always thought, like, punk bands, they do it right, where they just kind of throw out, like, five tracks, but it's, like, eight, song, eight minutes long, so it's just really fast and crunchy, like Iron Reagan did last year, or Converge did yeah. with Beautiful Ruin. So that's good, too, but they're too short to matter. So it kind of, it's the same it's See, the but same I feel problem. like if you're going to give me a teaser, if the whole point of this EP is to give me a teaser and to make me want more out of my band, I feel like it should be short. I feel like if you're just giving me six regular songs, then like, why didn't you just make six more songs? Well, well, <laughs> like, in, pe- in the back up Pete's point previously, uh, it's just these guys experimenting. So a lot of times, if you do a whole experimentation on an album, that can totally kill your fan base. Oh, but yeah. if you, but if you release like four songs, you're like, all right, here we brought in an accordion to see how this sounds. How do, you know? Tell us what you think. You know, I and, mean, that could work. And our number three record, Bloodbath, did not do that. They're just like, hey. You know, Michael's leaving. Let's give you guys four great songs before we change the lineup. Obviously, Nick Holmes has been doing a killer job with Bloodbath since, but that EP... It was a good send-off. That EP was just flawless. And I will say that with this EP, this is a uh, exception to the rule for me as far as EPs go, because there is something to be said for putting out a dope album, however many songs you can crank out before somebody who's an integral part of the band leaves. Second... Greatest EP of all time, according to the Metal Sucks podcast. I'm ready. When the Dillinger Escape Plan put out Calculating Infinity, Dimitri was their singer. Five years in between, before Greg joined the band, Miss Machine came out. In between that, they put out a little EP called Irony is a Dead Scene, featuring, because they didn't have a vocalist at the time, or Greg just started into the band, Mike Patton of Faith No More. So our second greatest EP of all time is the Dillinger Escape Plan, featuring Mike Patton, Irony is a dead scene. And here's a track off that one. This one is called Hollywood Squares.
are back. See, I like this because like when you get a, a lead singer, especially of Mike Patton's ilk, and you you know, and you get caliber, caliber. Yeah, thank he can you. Do, he can do no wrong in my eyes. And that's what I'm saying. But I mean, it's like what a cool way to ramp it up into the next album. We're like, look, this is just the one time thing with Mike Patton, but get ready because we got something planned for you. It's kind of a cool thing. Well, and if it's two very talented people, you're going to get some great pushing of each other, right? You're the one talent's going to push the other talent, and you're going to get something new, and you're going to see a new corner or a new a new side of that artist that you probably wouldn't have seen if it was the same people working. Together. Like I, I'll be honest with you. Like I wish, I wish ACDC would have made an EP with Axel, just because I just wouldn't wanted to. I wouldn't wanted to hear like a a studio version of Axel singing an ACDC song. That's all. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I I want Axel over Brian Johnson. You know, it's exciting. Uh, Stone Temple Pilots yes. put out an EP with Chester Bennington. It was a really good EP. It was like four or five songs, but they did exactly that. They're like, you know what? Scott Weiland's out of the band. We're going to tour Chester Bennington. Here's some songs for you guys. Well, I'll be honest. And that with song you. out of time that they put out was one of the better songs I think they've written, you know, in forever. It was but amazing. They're, they're, these are intentioned EPs, you know, I, I think it's, it was intentioned. Let yes. me say that. Let me tell you why, because Greg, uh, Pashudu, the guy that took over Dillinger escape plan. I hopefully I said his last name, right? He had the exact style vocal and structure of Patton with the scream, that was tailor made. So when they went from Dimitri on Calculating Infinity to this EP with someone like Mike Patton and then Intimus Machine, it was exactly like you were saying, intentional because the sound of the band transitioned into something that Mike Patton could front mm-hmm. because that's what Greg brought to the band. So I think that does make it special, but I also think it was really crafty. And personally, I think it, it is, you know, one of the the best records in their catalog from start to finish. Well, and on top of that, too, it also gets the fans ready for a change. You know, again, you don't want to just spring a change on some of your fans. You know, they might, they might, yeah, exactly. They might not take it. They might, they might revolt. They're like, what the fuck is this? So, yeah. I mean, like, when you make a drastic change like that, I think it is, just like what Pete was saying, that is a cold, calculated move to where it's like, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to use a huge name like Mike Patton to ease you in. To a new new direction. We're two we're two EPs into the list, and I will amend my evaluation of EPs to say that I don't like them unless they are intentioned and well thought out. The the majority of them are not like we. Yes. and that's and I and I, I gave that. I'm like, yes, I understand. The majority is three live songs, and then one song that was a throwaway. I understand that they're all digital releases, mostly. You know, a lot of them you can just get on tour. I remember a couple years back there was a really good one by Dark Tranquility called Zero Distance by Dark Tranquility. Really good EP, like five songs. But again, it wasn't something that was special, you know, but it was good. Now, the number one EP, when, when we were talking about this, we already knew our number one ahead of time. And actually, Brandon here wasn't even aware this was an EP because that's how good this record is. He, everybody's like, no, that's a full length record. No, 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 no. This is an EP technically. And that is, I think everybody should know the answer to this. Allison Chains' Jar of Flies. Now, this is probably one of... Allison Chains' best records. So good. Per se. So good. But it is it is a half a record. It's an EP. They put out Sap as well a little while because they were having issues with uh, Lane Staley at the time with his heroin use. So a lot of these songs were written. There were sadder songs. There were slower songs. They were almost a Jerry Cantrell, if we can say, solo record. This, this was a troubled time EP, and it was follow-up to Dirt which a lot of people... Which is a huge success. Which was a huge success. So this could have hurt them before they did the self-title, but what it did was just cement them. But this is, to us, the best EP. And if you're an EP hater, Allison Chains, Jar of Flies. And we're going to play a song off of that one, guys, if you haven't heard it, and this one is called Rotten Apple. 
And we are back. Brandon, what do you got on Allison Chains here? I think when you do an EP, I think you have to have a departure from your normal sound. Uh, when you do Bloodbath, you know, like Pete brought up earlier, he's like, it's pretty much just a bloodbath collection of songs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you had Dillinger Escape Plan, something new. And then, but again, Alice in Chains, if you listen to Facelift, Dirt, and then go to Jar of Flies, I mean, we are talking a major departure from their normal sound. Like, major. It shows their talent was much more than what was being called the grunge yes. at the time. It and showed- it really showed how, and it really showed the, uh, how diverse Jerry Cantrell was. And the harmony between the two. Yes. The, the musicians in Alice in Chains, it's like, this is another one of those examples. There's You see these in every genre. There's musicians in genres that it does really doesn't matter what genre they're playing in, what the sound is, what they're doing. They're true artists, and whatever they're making is good and palpable for the fans because it's it's made out of pure talent and good intention. I really feel like when Mastodon released Cold Dark Place last year, it was like a Jar of Flies type of thing. I think they did exactly what it was. I just don't feel the songs were as um, haunting and impactful. Pa- yeah, and mesmerizing. Very good. I, I I highly recommend Cold Dark Place to any any fans of Mastodon. But I feel that that's what it was. It was a, it was a departure to allow them to do something really different on the next record if they want to because the fans embraced it. And that's and that, see and that's what my next point was going to be is it's like if you are planning on growing as an artist. Don't release a whole album that shocks your fan base because you might lose half of them. You don't know how they're going to react to it. So I think the smart thing to do is release like a four song EP, let them dip their, dip their toe into it, and then release an album such as. I mean, that. some of the best bands in the world did a really good job of growing up with their fans. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's part of this is like, you can't grow faster than a human being would grow personality wise. So you can't change the personality of your music from one year to the next. You, to your point, there has to be some transitional things in there. There has to be some exploration. It has to be genuine. It can't just be like, Oh, now we decided that we rap. And that is our list of the three greatest EPs of all time. Guys, put yours in the comment section. If you want, send us emails, DMS, whatever you guys keep doing. Uh, I get a lot from right at rise to offend at gmail.com. If you guys want to send an email, send it right away on over to that email address and we will discuss it. But three greatest EPs of all time stamped in the ground, bloodbath, unblessing the purity, Dillinger escape plan featuring Mike Patton, irony is a dead scene and Allison chains jar of flies. So suck it. That's I'm sorry. That, that was, was so I was, aggressive. I, I didn't bro. mean that. I'm sorry. That was so aggressive. Anything from you, Amber Ariola? Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, Ariola, it's, Amber? it's nipples, Nancy. It's Whatever. Like, uh, God, Pete. Amber Ariola was yeah. my mother. Um. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and with that joke, yeah, that kind of didn't work. What was that, Steve Scrote? <laughs> um, I want to. <laughs> now we're just playing like a weird Sesame Street yeah, game. It's, it's really some, we've gone off the rails. <laughs> Pete, take it away, please, God. All right, guys. This month, Whitechapel will release the new album, The Valley, via Metal Blade Records. Anyone throwing The Valley on for the first time will immediately recognize it as the work of Whitechapel. Yet, as has been the case for each release, there is an evolution in play. Make sure to catch the band on tour with Dying Fetus, Revocation, Fallujah, and many more this spring. And make sure you purchase your copy of The Valley now at metalblade.com slash Whitechapel. Once again, metalblade.com slash Whitechapel. It is time for my interview, guys. Let's get to talking to Cody Willis of Big Business. Everybody, what's going on? It's Petter with the Metal Sucks Podcast. On the phone, I've got Cody from Big Business. 
We are here to talk about the new record, The Beast You Are, which is coming out April 12th. Now, Cody, I want to um, I want to give you some Twitter credit, if I may. Back in November, when it was time for America to vote, I saw nothing but insults and demands on why we should vote. But then a tweet from Big Business came across saying, vote. Even if you don't want to play the game, the game still plays you. Now, I'm biased to level-headed comments, so that you take that in effect. But how important is keeping a level head when engaging in social media to you guys? We don't take it that seriously, I guess. Like that—that that was a good uh, comment that he threw up there, and it's—we uh, tend to stay away from politics in general. I, I don't know; it, it just seems like such well-covered territory at this point. Like we try to keep it fun, try to keep a level-headed perspective, I guess, on 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 all of it. But you know, it's it's like. As far as like chiming in and being like outraged about stuff as a band, we, we try to we have our own personal views and we have our own uh, passionate personal views about about uh, politics and the world at large or whatever. But it's, we try to keep that away from voicing that through the band. I guess if that makes any sense. Absolutely, no. I, I completely try to do the same in, in in any faction. I have people I vent at, and then those people know. They, they they think I'm more ignorant than I am because I throw it at them, but I trust them. That's why. <laughs> so you guys are currently on tour, and um, you're touring America during one of the worst winters in memory. Have you had any challenges yet? Well, we we just got snowed into Montreal. We did a, a flying show to Montreal and uh, got on the plane to leave and sat on the plane for a couple hours before they finally decided it was canceled altogether. So uh, we got snowed in, but we made it out the next day. Hopefully that's going to be the extent of the challenges uh, for, for the wintertime travel. So we're yeah. back in LA right now. We're getting ready to go out uh, in the van this time with uh, doing a bunch of dates with clutch. Yes. And uh, so we're the vans in the shop right now getting uh, winterized and everything. So we're making sure all the hoses are, you know, tip top, Batteries, tip top, uh, suspension and tires, everything. Uh, so we're giving ourselves every chance to not have any trouble. Yeah, Clutch is, Clutch is the band that I always tell everybody. I'm like, you should model yourself off of what these guys are doing. I don't know what it is, but everything they do just works out fantastic. I, I think they're just like consistent mm-hmm. and like they found their they found their audience. They're like, I, I mean, they've been doing it for so long and they never quit or stop. And it's like, oh, it's amazing to see. Like I. I they really like, yeah, it's like every time they go on tour, they just like nail it. It's, it's crazy. And I, I've been a fan for a long time with theirs and I've seen them open for acts. I saw them open for Limp Bizkit. I saw them open for System of Down. I saw them open for Marilyn Manson and all those, the crowd reaction was so negative and so horrible during like, I, this was from like 97, 95, all the way till 2001. And I remember the first time I saw them and the crowd was in their favor finally and that was in it was with biohazard i want to say it was like 2002 so they i think a lot of people forget that the 90s they were opening for a lot of great acts and doing a lot of great shows but those fans weren't exactly cool you know to clutch so to see it now like to have that journey and see it now where it's like oh the shows are sold out zach sabbath is opening for them you know all these great things i'm like man it's just it shows, I guess, consistency, like you said, and always putting out just good music that it will find. It's, yeah. it's groove, man. And, uh, you know, like I came, I used to work in, in I used to live in Seattle and uh, I was a bartender for a super long time. And I worked, one of the places I bartended at was a venue, you know. So, like, 
shows would come in, and this is like late '90s, early 2000s, somewhere around. You know, there'd be people coming in in clutch shirts all the back then. You know, like I knew guys who were a little bit older than me who were super into clutch. And I just never really got around. I was into my own thing at the time, and like I never really got around to like checking it out or whatever. So when we finally like saw those guys, I was like, "This is." I, I expected something totally different. Like I, I didn't expect what it was that they were doing. Like, that's what they sounded like. So I could see like someone going to see like Biohazard and then see having Clutch open and being like, "What is this?" <laughs> like, "Whoa, that that's crazy!" But it, man, they like they stuck with it and they, they like hold it down every time. And like, uh, like their fans are like lifers. It's crazy. Exactly, dude. And when I saw him with biohazard, I want to say it was on, it, it might've been pure rock fury, but there was more clutch fans than biohazard fans. And it was at a house of blues, but I was like, Whoa, like we're, we're outnumbering. And it was, I want to say it was a co-headlining thing, but they did open, but I, I couldn't remember. But I just remember the system of down crowd being so awful to them. And, and just, I mean, the Limp Biscuit crowd being awful. And, and I was going to see Clutch. That was the thing. It's because I was such a huge fan. But yeah, dude, they uh, they weathered those storms. And in every one of those audiences, because those were packed rooms, those bands were huge back then. They found yeah, people yeah. like me. And that's and we, we were lifers because we saw them get the booze and be like, nah, you guys are fucking wrong. <laughs> like, so, yeah, right. <laughs> so speaking of Seattle, though, you did grow up in Seattle. I don't know if you grew up, but you were there for a long time and your music career did start out there, but were you there during the rise of grunge and all that stuff? Uh, yeah, I actually grew up in, a, a, I was born in Bellingham, which is like right up by the Canadian border. And then I went to like high school and stuff in, in this town called Mount Vernon, which is kind of in between Seattle and uh, Bellingham. And then, so when I was, I think, like I think Nevermind came out when I was like a sophomore in high school. Mm. And so all that was happening. And then I, I would like, constantly uh you know while everything was blowing up and there's you know the couple all ages clubs in seattle so as soon as i had my driver's license i would like drive down to seattle every weekend it's as many bands as i could i was really into it and it was it was pretty crazy but uh for me anyway i was very exciting but by the time i started like playing in bands most all that stuff was kind of over with uh, like my first band that i started uh, murder city devils we started in seattle and I had moved to Seattle at that point. And all that stuff was kind of like, you know. It was a wrap. But you saw like the corporate takeover of the Seattle scene, though. You, you did kind of witness that. What was the environment change like? Well, I, I wasn't really around before. Oh, I got I, you. I, I was too young. Yeah. <laughs> but, so I don't really know. All I know is that there was like a lot of people in town trying to be like in a band. You know what I mean? Mm. After the fact. So. It wasn't like there was a bunch of, uh, not that I saw anyway, there wasn't like a bunch of uh, record executives sliming around in the bars or anything like that. But it, it was just like, a lot of people from other places like San Diego and LA who or anywhere around the country moving to Seattle to be in bands. And then as we were getting started, kind of like doing something else, that was kind of going away. Like people started to kind of like give up and move away a little bit. Then it just, it kind of calmed down a little bit on that, yeah. on the uh, record industry tip, I guess. Did you see any like live band that's a kind of a surreal moment for you now during that time? Yeah, I got to see, I saw Nirvana twice. I went to a couple different Bikini Kill shows. I saw the Melvins a whole bunch of times. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot, I mean, a whole lot of bands. Like, I think I saw one of Built the Spills first shows they ever played. And nice. I was totally like, I would go see any show. Like, I was, I, I like certain, you know, certain bands more than others, but like, there were so many bands playing all the time that like, I, I, you never knew what you were going to get. And so I saw a lot of totally weird bands. I think I saw Dead Moon randomly uh, 
just going to a show. I had no idea who they were, what they were about. And that was totally mind blowing. Like who are these crazy grandmas and grandpas playing the best rock and roll of all time. So it was cool. It was really cool. It was a cool place to like, you got exposed to a lot of different, different things. And there was a lot of people on the tail end of the grunge thing, trying new things and trying to move on from that, you know, and start something new. So it was kind of exciting. There seems to be an original voice is a must from that scene that was coming out that might, I don't feel like modern rock has that, but I feel like if you didn't have an original voice, you didn't matter in that time frame. I don't know. It seemed like the, the prevailing or the commonality between all the bands was just by and large to get away from the, uh, the, the huge, like the hair metal pop rock. Like it, it seemed like in one way or another, a lot of that stuff was a reaction to that. Absolutely, man. And I think I was too young to get the hair metal. That was one of those things where it kind of went, I went backwards on that and I was like, what is this? Like it didn't make any sense yeah. going backwards on that. So <laughs> like the new album though is a return to the two piece style, man. Like all your guys' records, it has its own identity. Was there any past influences on the new album or do you feel like it was a rebirth in any way? We write the songs that we write and we try to let the songs be what they're supposed to be and kind of trust in that, I guess. Like, I think when we first started, we erred on the side of trying to like cram way more things into a song than we felt that may, they maybe weren't necessary, but we felt like, okay, okay, we're only two guys. So we have to like fill up this space. We have to be, you know, we have to do all these like jumping jacks and, and make these songs exciting. And I think as we've gone along, we kind of know what's in our toolbox a little bit more and we trust in that a little bit more so we can kind of let the songs be what they're supposed to be without overthinking it too much without uh trying to cram more in there than they're supposed to be if that makes any sense oh absolutely makes sense i think i would have the same mindset of like we have to sound like a four piece even though we're two like i think that's got to be like a learning curve on there so throughout the the recording process though do you feel because it is only two of you guys that you have to test your limits or kind of find your own path as you're going? Yeah, I mean, we, I think at this point, we've made enough records together, uh, written enough songs together, that it's it really is more about the idea rather than like what we can and can't do. We already know what kind of what that is, technically, and like we know what we do well, you know? So it's just playing with that, like and, and like writing songs that we think are fun and interesting and trying to put across what we want to put across using the tools that we have. We always push ourselves. Like we always try to like write a new and more interesting record than the last one. We don't try to make it sound exactly like the last one. We try to make it better. I love the new record, bro. I, I loved Yeah. I love them all though, man. The, the biggest change I think from me as a listener was from here come the waterworks to mind the drift. And I know you guys were doing double duty at that time, like in the Melvins as well. Can we go back? Was there something like, you were trying to do differently on that record? Yeah, I think I think that record was... It's weird because that record is... Uh, we really tried to, like, go for it in terms of making something really, like, ambitious and, like, grandiose, like this... Like a Queen record, you know? We wanted to make, like, this big operatic... Not a concept album, but, like, we wanted it to be, like, a Queen record, I guess. Like, and really, we did really push ourselves and try to do a lot of stuff uh, arrangement wise and, and vocally that we hadn't done before. And it was just one of those records that like was really, really hard to make for a, a lot of different reasons. There was the Melvin's thing wasn't really in our way that, that much. It was just uh, being in LA and not really, we had to kind of like split up the record. We recorded part of it in Seattle 
and then we had to finish up and do vocals and stuff in LA. And it's like the whole recording from top to bottom was just plagued with technical difficulties, like equipment failure while we were recording. Like uh, uh, when we got down to LA and we we're doing a bunch of stuff at the studio that we rented out, channels would just be disappearing off the board. Like modules of the board would be uh, just shorting out. So we'd be like doing a mix or like tracking vocals and all of a sudden the guitar would disappear or, and uh, you know, our engineer was just freaking out. And uh, one of the guys at the studio was just running up behind him, pulling the dead module out of the board, putting in a new one, running back, soldering that module. And it was just like on constant rotation like that. So it was just like a hard record to feel like we ever built any uh, momentum on like, it was just a constant like rolling the boulder up the mountain the whole time. So by the time we were done with it, we were just like exhausted and we ran out of time and like we didn't get the mix exactly how we like had dreamed it would sound. So, but it was sounded okay. And we were like, all right. And it, it just was one of those records that like some people like really like it. Like I, I did an interview with another guy earlier. It was like, that's my favorite record. It's like, huh? Okay. That that's the record I have the hardest time listening to only because I associate it with the fun level <laughs> I had while recording it, which was low. But I, I, we, it was an important record for us to make, I think, because we had to try a bunch of stuff. We were testing our limits and, and, and trying to do a bunch of stuff that we didn't know whether we could pull it off or not. And uh, uh, it was important for us to do that. I'm a, I'm a fan of the record, but I remember when I first got it, it, I'd actually listened to it for a while. I shelved it. And then I virtually revisited it, I want to say, like maybe a year or two later. And I, and I really, it made more sense and I liked it a lot more that way. I'll do that with bands that I know I can yeah. trust. It's, it's, it's always like, cause you're right. We have this expectation type of thing, but we don't have that association. So I didn't know all that stuff. So it might be most people's favorite records is the band. They, the first record they got when they got into the band. Is that a fair thing sure. to say? So yeah, yeah. for me, here come the waterworks this is my favorite. Cause that was the first one I got, you know, um, the new one I think is my favorite now because I needed this record. Like I needed something different. You know, I just feel like I've got a lot of the same for like months on months. And I'm like, oh, this is what I needed. And that's something that from the title though, I knew I'm like the beast you are. What does that even represent? Are we looking in at ourselves? What, what is going on? You know, in my mind, I just read the title, saw the artwork and I'm like, okay, let's go. But what does the title represent to you guys? Um, it's, it's, it's a lyric from a, a song called let them grind. And I don't know. I, I think a lot of Jared's lyrics on this one are, I, I don't want to speak for him too much because uh, it's his thing for sure. But, but I know that it's been a, you know, speaking of politics and, and the state of the world at large, it's, it's been, an, you know, Jared's a, a, a dad as well. He's got, he's got two, two youngsters. It, it's been, you know, a generally like angst filled, angst filled, angry, high anxiety period of time in, in, in everyone's life, you know? So it, I, I think a lot of the lyrics reflect just the times that we are dealing with and, and how to like navigate all the total insanity of the, yeah. the world that we're experiencing right now. <laughs> I, I, I completely, man. No, I, I got a son that's, that's three and he brings me peace because he doesn't know what's going on. It's a weird thing to like translate to people. I'm like, if I hang out with him, and just watch him like feed fish or anything like that. Like my world is perfect, you know, mm -hmm. but the second he's away and I have to come back to the real world and look around and talk to people and see what's going on. I, the outrage just kind of rises in you. It's a weird, a weird yin and yang type of thing, but there's a lot of people out there that don't have that shut off moment. 
There's a, like yeah. a, there's an interlude on your guys' record, and the, uh, the title sticks with me. Complacency is killing you, and those around you. And like it's an interlude. But tell me, then Jared wrote the. I'm assuming the title as well on that one. He did. And, he picked that one. But what does that mean to you? Do you feel there's a lot of truth to that statement? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, you know, I think it's easy, easy to do, just like let stuff go by. That you know, uh, it's an old story. See something that you know is wrong that's happening, and and it's easy to, uh, especially in in the noisy, crazy world we live in. It's easy just to like let it go and get on with your life and live your life as you, you know, it's a, it's a harder thing to like stand up and say something or step in and intervene and, uh, you know, do like doing a small thing, like doing a, uh, something outside of your normal routine that is, you know, not a totally self-serving activity, like go to the women's March, like, you know, show up for a community thing or give blood or do something like that. I think doing little things like that, all that stuff's important, you know, like all that stuff like adds up, if everybody does a little, it doesn't have to be one person doing something totally extreme. It could be all of us doing just a little bit. Like my whole my whole stance on being an artist or a, a musician or anything is like I am like a believer in outside of politics or anything like that. I'm a total believer in the individual and the power of the individual to always have the choice to do the right thing as they see it. And that to me is what music is about and like connecting uh individuals like our, our connective humanity you know and if i feel like a lot of that is lost and every time politics come into music and art it makes me cringe a little bit because it's taking something that i think has the power to unify people and uh bestow compassion you know amongst people who have different viewpoints and stuff like that and makes it the opposite of that I, you know, I, I like to think of music or, or as we do it. It's like good food. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to hate somebody who cooks you a really awesome meal. I did want to talk about the Melvins a little bit, dude, because your time in there was it was just really exciting for us fans. And now when you were part of the Melvins, you did the double drumming with Dale. Now, yeah, was that challenging at first or was it easier to hide mistakes for both of you guys? It was challenging because being a Melvins fan for a really long time, I was really nervous about it just because I didn't think that any other Melvins fan would swallow adding a second drummer to the band, considering Dale's uh, reputation and, and, and legacy is, you know, one of the best drummers out there. Because he's one of my favorite drummers of all time. Like when, when I, I think I saw them when I was 15 for the first time, and it was a total game changer for me in, in terms of how I thought about drumming and how I thought about the use of space and I guess dimension within the kit, like, like using flams, using space, using all this other stuff. He he did it in a really beautiful way that was really unique. So I was excited to do it, but we really didn't know if it would work. You know, like we, we, they sent us a bunch of songs to learn while we were in Seattle. So Jared and I practiced all, like learned all that stuff, which is, that was the hardest part, just like on our own, like figuring out some of the trickier songs and then we came down and spent a week in LA just to get in the same room with those guys and see if the double drum thing would even work, you know, or all four of us together, if it, if it would work. And after a couple of practices, they were, they said they were stoked and uh, asked if we wanted to, you know, be in the band basically on the condition that we couldn't quit big business, that we had to keep our own band going too. Oh, that's so cool. yeah, we figured out right away that uh, we could at least play together. It didn't sound uh, terrible. It, it, it didn't sound like uh a big mess, you know. You guys toured with Down, right? We did. Yeah, I remember. That's when I first saw you guys do the uh, at the House of Blues out here in Vegas, and uh-huh. I remember like I don't know, man. It, it it 
I've seen the Melvins, fuck man, 30, maybe 25, 30 times, dude. But I, it's just that show for some reason really, really stuck out with me because it was just something different. Uh, even when I did the Melvins light thing, like it was just something different, you know? Bands don't do that, you know? They're the only band I can think of that does that, you know? They're, they're fearless. They are not afraid to do something totally out of the realm of anything anyone would have ever thought of, you know? But they would tour like, I mean, 100 dates at a time, right? back in the like they still do that but was that okay their touring schedule with you well yeah i mean uh i didn't have anything else going on at the time so it was totally fine jared didn't have any kids at the time so we were fine with it and uh you know it was working and it was super fun so i I think the first tour we did with those guys was like they're part of three months long i think we went we did a big u.s tour and then did europe right after that so it was like back to back and so it was a lot of shows but you know, we got really good at it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, got, we, we got good at doing it. So, Did, Were you part of the Guinness Book of World Record for the shows? No, we weren't on that one. That was like the Melvin's Light thing, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I don't think that would have worked uh, logistically. Uh, with They had some really tight, tight squeezes in there time-wise. So I think they had to do it just as like a three-piece and, you know, be able to like set up at a moment's notice and then tear down and get out and get on to the next thing. So. There's the fearlessness. They're in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most shows, and I forgot was it like a hundred days or something. I forgot. <laughs> no, it was uh, uh, fifty states in fifty days. That's what it was. Fifty states yeah. in fifty days. Yeah, yeah. It's so cool, man. I bet the East Coast wasn't that bad. Crazy ding dongs. <laughs> I, I remember they played a two p.m. show out here, and I was like, "Why? What are you guys doing?" <laughs> but that was why. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Do you listen to a lot of the mainstream rock bands these days? My wife is pretty much my connection with the outside world, like as far as like current pop music and everything like she is totally into it and every time we listen to music together she's listening to something i have no idea what it is i'm like who is this she's like oh it's you know this is old by now but she's like oh it's kendrick lamar i'm like oh okay cool (laughs) i've heard that name before she she keeps me up on all that as far as like uh, uh like rock music and stuff like that like current bands yeah um yeah, there's there's some stuff I like, but I, I I can't say I'm actively out there all the time, like searching for the the next new thing or whatever. So yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I don't know. Yeah. So your pre- personal music uh, taste is still kind of like in the rock and all that stuff, or are you, are you kind of branching out at all? I wouldn't say I'm super branching out right. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I, I've I honestly like. Uh, I've just been so preoccupied with getting this record. We, I, we didn't finish recording it that long ago, so I, I've just been thinking about this record and uh, just been thinking about recording and, and getting the sounds and stuff we wanted. So I do. I need to go out and see some some new new bands for sure. Well, dude, I got to tell you, you guys knocked it out of the park. And oh, thanks, man. Yeah, the beast you are, guys. Make sure you guys pick up a copy. It's April 12th is when it comes out. You guys are on tour with Clutch, but I know you're going pretty much two months straight. Um, so make sure you guys, if you have a chance to catch big business, catch them on tour right now. Cody, I've been a fan for so long, dude. I'm so happy I got to oh, chat man. with you, man. So Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for uh, thanks for being so thoughtful. Oh, not a problem at all, dude. So uh, And thank you so much for calling into the Metal Sucks podcast, dude. Thank you.
Seattle Sucks Podcast.
And we are back, guys. First song you heard is off the new record by Big Business, The Beast You Are, which is coming out April 12th. Make sure you pre-order it. That song is called Let Them Grind. Second song you heard is off a band that I have grown to love the last few years. That band is called Spotlights. The song is called The Age of Decay, and their new album, Love and Decay, is coming out April 26th. If you haven't checked out Spotlights, make sure you do. Send us more questions. You got? You want some more lists from us? We'll give them to you. We're not scared of your fucking lists. I'll, I'll find your fucking list in an alley, yeah, motherfucker. Well, we've been down the music route what? since 1990. I'll creep up behind your list with piano wire in my hands. I'll fucking take it out. That's does your right. Does your list want to fuck with Attila? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> The Metal Sucks Podcast is signing off. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.